You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Teaching text is Proverbs 9, verse 10, 11. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Y'all are so sweet. You're so sweet. Thank you. You guys, I just, I have big news though. Um, Robbie Brown just asked me to prom, so. (laughs) Um, Hello, it's so good to see you guys. Wow, this is a wobbly stand. Um, If we haven't met, my name is Mackenzie. I am the pastoral resident here at Oaks. And we have been in a summer series called Sophia, which means wisdom in Greek. Um, going through just a bunch of different proverbs and learning what wisdom means and how we can live it out in our lives. Um, And so today we're going to be looking at Proverbs 9. But before we do that, I just want to ask everyone, if you have a piece of paper, a notepad, or your phones, which I know you all have, um, if you could get it out. And I want you to take just the next 15 20 seconds, and just write down the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the word fear. Don't overthink it. Just, what's the first thing that pops into your head? And you don't have to share it, so feel free to be honest. That clock in the back isn't going, should it be? Thank you. Okay, everybody have something written down? Got it in your your mind? All right, I don't know, I'm not gonna ask you to share it, and I don't know what you wrote down, but I am gonna just assume that you probably wrote down something negative, something a little bit more on on the negative side. But here in our teaching text today, we're reading about the fear of the Lord being something good, something that generates something good and fruitful for our lives. So how, how, how can this be? Hmm. I mean, why is this the beginning of wisdom? And that is really what I want to talk about today. That's what I'm going to tell you guys. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because the fear of the Lord is knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is love from God. And the fear of the Lord is intimacy with God. Okay? So before we dive in, I'm going to pray for us really quickly. God, I just thank you that you are here. You're, you're moving in our midst. You're moving in our hearts and in our minds. I thank you that your spirit dwells within us, Lord. What a gift. I just ask, God, that you would just continue to do the work that you've already started. Holy Spirit, would you just 
minister to our hearts, encourage our hearts, soften our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us today. We come humbly before you as your body, as your church, and as your people. We give you all the glory for your son, Jesus, for him, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you get your Bibles out or your phone Bible out, uh, turn with me to Proverbs 9. And in Proverbs 9, we find the author continuing his lessons on wisdom. And as we've heard pretty consistently throughout this series so far, the fear of the Lord is a truth that the book of Proverbs consistently comes back to. And there's a reason for this. I mean, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that, that word beginning is the same word used in Genesis in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth because wisdom has a beginning place and it begins with knowledge of God. So at the end of last year, I had to get glasses. You can see them. They look pretty good. Thank you. And I mean, to be honest, I was pretty annoyed because the last time I got my eyes checked, I had 20-20 vision and I was probably like 12 years old, but who, who cares? I'm <laughs> but I, I just be, had begun to notice that something was off in my vision. Like when light would come in from a certain direction, it would just completely throw off my vision. And one day I just had a nudge to cover my left eye and then my right. And I noticed that my left eye was significantly blurrier than my right. And so I decided that I should probably go get that checked out um, and discovered that I had astigmatism in my left eye. So basically, my poor left eye has just been trying to keep up with my strong right eye. But what's interesting is that I could actually, I could see, you know, I wasn't blind. It wasn't completely blurry. I could still see just fine. But when I got my glasses and I got my prescription, it was like, laser focus. Like, I actually couldn't believe that I could see that good. Like, I was like, whoa, what have I been doing this whole time? You know, like, it was just, it brought everything into focus and perspective, and I just felt like this is what it feels like to actually see. People who have good vision see this way, um, but what's wild is that it was just only off by a smidge, right? Like, it was this big. It's not that big of a difference, and yet it made all the difference, and the funny thing is, is that I keep forgetting to wear my glasses um, all the time. I keep thinking that I can do this seeing thing on my own. Every time I come to church, every time I go to the movies, I'm just like, oh, I forgot my glasses. And I, with my glasses, though, things are just, they're clearer and they're sharper. And I was just thinking, like, this is what living in the fear of the Lord is like. I mean, living in the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom because living in the fear of God brings everything into perspective. But how often do we try to get by on our own strength, relying on our own knowledge and our own perspective and our own experience to dictate our choices and our behavior until suddenly everything's upside down and life feels wonky and we have to go back to the drawing board. I mean, so often we're taught to begin with what works best for me and, and what makes sense for me. And hear me, there's nothing wrong with addressing those questions inherently, but they cannot be our starting point. Knowledge of God is simply knowing and understanding the God who provides wisdom in the first place. I mean, just as my glasses help me see what is in front of me more clearly, so the fear of the Lord helps us see God more clearly, and wisdom flows from seeing God more clearly and responding appropriately. 
Or, as David Platt puts it, wisdom starts with a God-centered view of the world, which is key because there's a lot that is considered wisdom in the world that does not come from God. And it was the author of Proverbs here that he, he discovered that this revered fear of the Lord was the true pathway to wisdom, which alone provides fulfillment in life. And, and this fear develops when we recognize God for who he is. He is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is forgiving and patient and just and righteous. His existence isn't merely for our blessing, but he is, he is Lord. He is holy. He is sovereign, and he is worthy of praise. For in him dwells all majesty, might, and glory. He is the truth. And if we don't know who he is, if we don't see him rightly, then we'll never walk in wisdom. But what does this have to do with fear? I mean, can fear actually be a good thing? Well, I heard something recently. If any of you know who John Bevere is, I was listening to a discussion that he was having, and he submitted this idea of constructive and destructive fears. I mean, many people don't fully understand what the fear of the Lord means because they have like a one-sided view of what fear is. But, but there is a fear that produces wisdom. I mean, there is a fear that will save our lives. You know, my fear of getting hit by a car is going to give me the wisdom to look both ways before I cross the street, right? So in that case, it's a constructive fear. But that fear can quickly become destructive if that fear causes me to never leave the house at all because I don't want to get hit by a car. So now the fear has become destructive. But there's a fear that keeps us from all of these destructive fears, and that is the fear of the Lord. And it doesn't mean that we're afraid of God. It's not a guilt-driven fear before the Lord convinced that he's out to get us or punish us. But it's this reverential awe and admiration which motivates joyful obedience. It's an affectionate reverence that results in humble submission to the Father's will. It is a desire to not sin against him, but an openness to him, an eagerness to please him, and a humility to be instructed by him. I mean, when you are in awe and wonder of someone, you are you're afraid of offending or dishonoring them in any way. And if we fear the Lord, we will not fear anything else, and we won't be enslaved by anything else. A.W. Tozer writes this, I believe that the reverential fear of God mixed with love and fascination and astonishment and admiration and devotion is the most enjoyable state and the most satisfying emotion the human soul can know. In fact, fearing the Lord means counting on our fellowship with God to make us happier in the future than anything else could. The fear of the Lord is knowledge of God. All right, so let's back up for a minute. We're going to look at some earlier verses just to bring our teaching text into, some, into context. So the book of Proverbs, and in, in Proverbs 9, we're 
presented with a choice. And it is a choice that we get to make between wisdom and folly. And so to make that choice clear, the author of Proverbs has personified wisdom and folly as two women, and they're inviting us into their houses on different sides of the road, and we're confronted with the question, which way will we turn? And so if you can flip over in your Bibles, Proverbs 9, we're going to start at verse 1. And this is where we're introduced first to Lady Wisdom. So starting in verse 1, Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, Let all who are simple come to my house. So wisdom is calling out for anyone to come to eat with her. I mean, she's instructed her servants to specifically invite the simple, those who are in need of real wisdom, and she's prepared her meat, and she's mixed her wine, and she's, you know, she's set her table. I mean, this isn't a quick bite at Taco Bell. Like, this isn't junk food, okay? This is a banquet of her best. And in this culture, meat was actually rare because it was expensive and it was hard to store. And so we can gather from this that wisdom is inviting people to enter into an intimate relationship with her, to reorient our lives around God. It's a metaphor for the wisdom God generously sets before us, for what Christ offers to us all right now. I mean, the invitation is clear. Verses 5 through 6, Come, eat my food, drink the wine I have mixed, Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. The provision is made and everything is readily available. I mean, wisdom is offering a feast of life, a feast of bread and wine, demanding a decision to grow, a a change of direction. I mean, there's listening involved and there's an inclining of the heart and discernment to choose what is good. But there's another invitation calling out to us. And so in some later verses, if you scroll, yeah, scroll, you're probably on your phone, scroll down to verse 13. (laughs) And we're introduced to Lady Folly, starting in verse 13. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. And to those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. I mean, part of Folly's deception is to disguise itself like wisdom. But, but notice the contrast. I mean, wisdom builds her house. Folly just sits there and expects us to be impressed. Wisdom offers us meat and wine. Folly offers us bread and water. Wisdom is dealing with us honestly. Folly is making false promises that cannot come true. I mean, folly is loud. She is tempting and seductive, luring the naive, the ignorant, the gullible. She makes an illegitimate claim to leadership sitting at the highest places of town, which is an allusion to a position of authority. She invites us into a feast that has been stolen, 
which is quite different than the intentional and careful meal prepared by wisdom. I mean, because stolen water is sweet to us for a little while until the guilt sets in. And this leads us to isolation. I mean, food eaten in secret is pleasant. Wisdom's followers live more and more forever, but Folly's guests are led down the path of death before they even know it hit them. So who will we listen to? Well, I mean, the right answer is easy in theory. We're often told if we have all the right information, we'll know what to do. But in reality, we're running back and forth between these houses all the time. <laughs> I mean, the right choice might be obvious. We're all like, wisdom, of course. <laughs> but we're complicated beings. So how do we discern? Well, in the middle of our teaching, in the middle of this contrast is the teaching text. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. So if the fear of the Lord is knowledge of God, then one of the byproducts is growing in discernment. I mean, we're bombarded with mixed messaging today. Discernment is a matter of choice. We must decide whose words to believe and whom to trust. But if you think about it, this goes all the way back to the beginning. Beginning, that word beginning again, right? In, in the garden, we see man and God in perfect harmony, and along comes folly, Satan himself, tempting them with what? Knowledge. The fear of the Lord was their protection, but rather than fear him, they wanted to be like him. And when they ate the fruit, their eyes were open and they knew they were naked. I mean, we put so much trust in ourselves. And the point is that wisdom invites us to fear the Lord. Folly says, follow your feelings. Follow your heart. I know God's word says that, but you know what's best. Do what feels good. If it's hard, it's probably wrong. True wisdom will often, if not always, <laughs> inconvenience you in some way because it means that we can't just do whatever we want at any time. So when you're going through life trying to make a decision, should I take this job? Should I forgive this person? Should I watch this? Should I do that? Should I leave this church? Should I stay at this church? I mean, wisdom says, what matters to God? That is what should matter to you. What discernment does he want you to use? And following him. I mean, God has given you purpose in life. He will, he will direct you to improve your life through correction. He will enrich your life through obedience to his word. He will reveal through the power of the Holy Spirit sins and dangers to avoid or overcome. I mean, look at Psalm 32. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Lady Folly will constantly compete with the voice of wisdom. She, she entices and is calling out, come, eat, and drink. And here's the thing. There will always be good and bad influences vying for our attention, but the real power is not in avoiding them. It's not in avoiding those influences, but learning to discern and to choose. Hannah Anderson, actually, she has this really great book. It's called All That's Good, Recovering the Lost Art of Discernment. And she writes this. 
you may not initially connect the idea of discernment with goodness. For some of us, discernment carries a defense connotation. We see it as a protection mechanism, a shield against the threats of a dangerous world. But in broader usage, discernment simply means developing a taste for what's good. It's developing an instinct for quality, a refined sensibility, and an eye for value to know the difference between what's good and what's not in order to partake of the good. And so wisdom is calling out, inviting us to her table to relish in her first course of the fear of the Lord. Come and taste and see what is good. But she warns us, once you've dined with her, you're no longer simple or unlearned. You are either on your way to becoming wise or you're on your way to becoming a scoffer or a cynic. It all depends on your response. I mean, her call is not an invitation to some moral self-improvement or behavior modification. Rather, it is an invitation to know the Holy One. It's knowledge of the Holy One that brings understanding. Knowledge of the Holy One that brings understanding. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we want knowledge of self. We want knowledge of others. We want knowledge of the world. We want knowledge of fill in the blank. But in order to understand, Proverbs is reminding us that it starts with knowledge of God. The more we know of him, the more you'll understand yourself. The more you know of him, the more you'll understand the world. I mean, let's look again at scripture. If you can get there fast enough, 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Ah, and I felt convicted of this myself when I was preparing this. I mean, it's so easy to become jaded and bored in our knowledge of God. But to know God is what knowledge really is. Wisdom wants to bring us to a deep knowledge of the one who set the heavens and earth in their places. And to know God in God's fullness is to experience some sense of fear. It's like Moses, who was both afraid to look at God and yet bold enough to say, show me your glory. It is this ever-deepening knowledge of God that begins to shape our lives and behavior, learning what pleases God and what grieves him. But this knowledge isn't, it's not only meant to teach us how to live. It's, it's also to bring us into his presence. Because the fear of the Lord is also love from God. God wants to be near his people. 
God cares for his people, and his delight is in those who fear him, Psalm 147, 11, and whose hope is in his unfailing love. Jesus, too, delighted in the fear of the Lord. I mean, Isaiah eleven three says, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Shouldn't it be true of us, too? Look at this. Let's go to New Testament. Turn to Matthew 10. Verses, we'll start in verse 28. Oh, Jesus is encouraging his disciples in this passage. He's encouraging them because they're about to face persecution for their faith. And he tells them, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Okay, wait, though, what? <laughs> I mean, Jesus is saying, don't fear them, just fear God, and then somehow I don't have to fear at all? Yes, yes, that is his point, because fearing the right person turns to love. Jesus himself is saying, God is the one to be feared, and when we stand in this fear, it will eradicate every other fear because we know that God really cares for us. I mean, look at the verse. He knows every single hair that is on your head. You don't even know how many hairs are on your head. If you're bald, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, this God knows us better than we know ourselves. That's exactly what it's saying. Don't fear them. Fear God. He actually knows you. He made you, and he delights in you. Fear him. Come to him. Delight in him. This God knows us, and he's paying very close attention to our needs. I mean, what do we do then? You know, how do, how do we grow in this fear? Well, Psalm 134, 134 <laughs> says, But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I mean, this tells us that the more we're forgiven, and the more we've experienced grace, the more fear of the Lord we will experience. The more we see that even though I'm saved by free grace, it was a costly grace, and that fills us with wonder, and it fills us with love. I mean, we remember that Jesus was wise in our place, and for our sake, Jesus lived a perfect life. He chose wisdom every time, and then he died on the cross, a death that he did not deserve, a sacrificial death for our foolishness. And if we will receive him by mere faith, he gives us his righteousness as a gift, and in the strength of being forgiven, we change. Our lives change, truly change. 
Jesus is the wisdom of God, and because Christ submitted to the Father's will and died on our behalf, he was exalted to the right hand of the Father, granting us access to the Father. I mean, somebody say hallelujah, please. My goodness, now we can draw near to God with confidence knowing that when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us, not only for salvation, though that's true, not only for forgiveness, though that's true, but because God wants to be near his people. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, it will tell you this. God wants to be near his people. The fear of the Lord is knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord is love from God. And the fear of the Lord is intimacy with God. Jesus said, the road to life is narrow and it's hard. And few find it. I mean, Eugene Peterson translated as, he said, it's vigorous and it requires total attention. And some fall into the ditch of legalism until they learn the love of God. But if you stay there, then you're likely to fall into the ditch of lawlessness, which says, I can do whatever I want and God will still love me. But it takes the love of God and the fear of God to remain on the narrow path. A healthy Christian life is balanced by the unity of fear and love. And let me, (laughs) I understand, like on this side of glory, there will always be some tension between the fear of the Lord and our experience as sons and daughters. Absolutely. And while we're loved more than we could ever imagine, we need to remind ourselves that we serve the sovereign ruler of the universe the holy God, the Lord of Lords, the King Almighty. So let it be hard. Embrace the tension. I mean, need him. That is the point. We are dependent creatures. We are not infinite. We are finite. We are not limitless. We have limits. Need him. Rely on him. Ask him. Look to him. James 4, 6 through 8 says, He gives more grace. Therefore, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Not he might flee, he will, if you resist him. But who has to do it? You do. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Not he might, he will. I mean, that, this is why we're committed to becoming a people of prayer. Why we're committed to the good way and a rooted community so that we can remain on the narrow path, growing in wisdom and holy fear, a fear that protects, a fear that sustains, a fear that produces longevity. Woo, look at the time. Band, you guys can come up if you're around. (laughs) Come on, Lord. My goodness. Thank you, Jesus. 
I mean, this fear produces longevity. Y'all, I read a study. Barna did a study from 2000 to 2020. Over 20 million American practicing Christians now identify as non-Christian. That's over 20 million people in only 20 years in America. It's more than 5% of America's population. If we do not have a connection or a trust with God, if we do not have intimacy, it will happen somewhere else because we were made for worship. We are all worshiping something at the end of the day. And if we're not walking in connection with God, we will adhere to whatever is provided to replace him. And Jesus passionately eagerly wants to be in an intimate relationship with everyone. But we are the ones, if we look at that passage in James, we're the ones that determine that level of intimacy. Hear me correctly when I say this, please. I am not saying salvation. Salvation is a free gift. And I am not saying love. God loves you. You are made in his image and he loves you. But our intimate relationship with God, I mean, that is on us. We have to draw near to him. We have to fight for that place. We have to fight for that time. He's not going to force us there. He'll pursue us forever, but you can't force intimacy on anyone. Have you ever forced intimacy? It doesn't work. They'll run away. In John 15, 15, Jesus said, You are no longer my servants, but I call you friends. If... You keep my commands. There's some condition to intimacy. That's just the way it works, even in our friendships. So what did you write? Maybe you wrote insecurity. Maybe you wrote shame. Stress. I mean, I want to invite you today to to bring it to the Lord and allow him to counsel you, instruct you, lead you, and love you into a deeper understanding of what it means to fear him, to fear this good God we serve, this God who knows every hair that's on your head, this God that's worthy to be feared and followed And so if everyone, let's just take a private moment between you and God, if you guys can just close your eyes. And I just want to invite anyone, you know, if you're just like, if you feel distant from God, if you're like, I understand this in theory, but I I do not, I, I lack this this holy fear you speak of, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, this is not condemnation. This is an invitation to know the Holy One, to come into deeper understanding and revelation of his love for you. If that's you, then our prayer team is gonna be up here and our pastoral team is available and we would love to pray for you and pray with you because we're a family and we can't do this alone. And I also just sensed an invitation for those who, you, you fear the Lord in certain areas of your life, but there's like a specific area that he's been pressing in on and just like, let me in there. 
I want to come in there and you don't want him to come in there. And if that's you, then I also want to invite you to prayer. And I know that this is so vulnerable and intimate, but I just want to pray that we'll be courageous today and just let truth in and let love in to our hearts. As the family of God, as the children of God, as followers of Jesus. And lastly, I sensed an invitation for those, like you feel like you're just, you're walking this walk and you're fighting this fight and you're walking in true connection with the Lord and you're tired. You feel so weary. Maybe you know someone in that stat that I gave and you're just like, God, I don't, I can't. I just wanna invite you to come receive prayer for increased faith and perseverance and strength because he will lift you up. He will lift you higher.